going to ask you if you would to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, as we continue on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit produces, and we're looking at faithfulness today. Uh, it can be translated also faith, that the Spirit produces faith in us. Because quite simply, faithfulness is to whatever we have faith in. We will be faithful to whatever or whoever we have faith in. We will not be faithful to those we don't have any faith in. So the Spirit produces faith in us, which produces faithfulness in us. And so as we're looking at the idea of faithfulness, I want us to consider what it looks like in a culture like ours, in a world like ours, and more importantly, in a day and age when we know Jesus is soon returning, what it will look like to be faithful. Now, yesterday, it was already mentioned, yesterday I turned 40. Go ahead. So I turned 40 yesterday. Um, which means that's what they call over the hill now, right? I guess that's what it means. Uh, it's amazing. Once you get to 40, you consider 50 over the hill. Once you get to 50, you consider 60. And once you get to 60, you consider 70. And once you get to Al's age, you just uh, you, they start overhauling every body part. That's the way it works. Right, Al? <laughs> that's exactly right. So... Uh, uh, I turned 40 yesterday, and you know, I, honestly, I, I, I kind of jokingly said this, but it is true. I, I, uh, about 20 years ago, I, I guess it, it was actually 18 years ago, I was leaving Richmond, sitting at my mom's, uh, my mom and dad's house in the living room, and I was getting ready to move to Kansas City for seminary. My mom asked me this. She goes, I just don't get you, Brad. I said, welcome to the club. And then she said, um, what are you going to be in five years? What's it going to look like in five years? What's it going to look like in ten years? And and I looked at her. I said, honestly, I don't care. Um, and I know that's not what parents like to hear from their kids. But I had this mentality. I said, whatever God has for me is what it's going to be. Um, I'm going to pursue Him and whatever He leads me to. If it means I, I'm uh, financially successful and you know living in a big house on a hill, so be it. Couldn't see that really happening. But I said that that may be it. It could be that I'm living in a um, in a box on the side of the road. As long as I'm uh, serving a faithful God faithfully, then I'll be okay. And I'm okay with that. That is not what my mom wanted to hear when the next day I was getting in the car to move to Kansas City. And yet there's still truth to that in my life. It's a little harder to think that way now, being 40, having a wife and two kids. But but there's still that truth there. I, I said it to Joanna yesterday. I said, I'm ready for whatever it is that the Lord has for me. And uh, And so I said from July 4th, 2015, and I want to encourage you in this way from July 5th, 2015, Rob's birthday. Anybody else have a birthday today? I know it's Rob's birthday today. Um, Joe's birthday. Okay. Okay. And so just think about this. Every birthday from this moment, every day should be this reality for us. From this moment until the day I see Jesus face to face, my life, the pages of my life are only going to be written by him. That's what it means to surrender to Him. That's what it means to be faithful to Him. It's not not to pursue simply hopes and dreams that we have or somebody else has for us, but to simply uh, to simply surrender to who Jesus is and what He desires for us. We always think, and I, I said this to our students this week, we always think that um, surrendering, we're surrendering to a call to a ministry. And quite simply, we're called to surrender to Jesus. There's a lot more hope in, in surrendering to Jesus than into a job or into a calling, or we're to surrender to Jesus, and He is faithful. So I praise the Lord for His faithfulness for 40 years, and I, I look forward to whatever the next, um, however many years may be. I, I assumed I'd be dead on the mission field somewhere, or dead in the middle of the city somewhere. It was either going to be me um, being a drug addict, or me going and 
getting killed by a drug addict. That's what I assumed. And instead, I'm in Powhatan, Virginia. There you go. And I would have never guessed that. And yet God has greater plans than we do. But they also say when you turn 40 and you get over that hill that everything's downhill from there. All right. It's kind of the idea. I'll give you a picture of that to kind of throw him under the bus is yesterday. Um, Casey and Kyle took me out to play foot golf. If you don't know what foot golf is, it's a new craze for us. And uh, basically all that is is uh, you play golf on a golf course with a soccer ball. They've just made bigger holes for the soccer ball to go in. And so we went out and played. This is the second time we've gone and played. And we're sitting there, and on the first hole, my first, they, they gave me honors. I get to go first. They let the old guy go first. And so I, I stood there, and I kicked the ball and just totally shanked it. It was horrible. It was in the trees. It was in a hazard. I had to pull the ball back out, take a stroke. It was just not the way to start. And uh, we all took our first shots. Theirs were pretty good. But then I took my second shot. It was decent. Casey took his second shot. It was decent. Kyle took his second shot, and it went in the hole. It was a miraculous shot. And he stood there in the middle of the course just going, Did you see that? Did you see that? And he was just super excited. And I looked at him very, very quickly and I said, It all goes downhill from here. <laughs> so I asked him again, How many strokes did you lose by, Kyle? A lot. All right. And I'll say it again. I do not want my life to end up like Kyle's foot golf game from yesterday. So... Um, <laughs> I do not want the day to come when I stand before my Savior face to face and it all went downhill from here. I'm looking forward to greater things. I believe that's what God has for me. I believe that's what God has for us. And I think you're a huge part of that. So I've gained a lot. I've lost a lot in 40 years. One of the things I've gained um, is I've gained the righteousness of Christ because of Jesus. I've gained an eternal hope because of Jesus. I've gained you. With my brothers and sisters because of Jesus. Gained my wife and my, my children. But I praise the Lord that we're one in Him. And so I'm looking forward to what He does with us uh, together. It's not just me on this journey. And I thank you for being a part of it. And I thank you for the pies and the things that you want me to have a lot more girth along the way, I guess. Um, I was telling Gary was giving me a hard time today about turning 40. He said, you know, the eyes start going and everything starts going. You you know, I said, yeah, I mean, being 40, if you weren't so big, I wouldn't be able to see you. <laughs> so I told him. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's three times I've done that today, haven't I? Yeah, I'm all about throwing people under the bus today. I want you to look at Luke 18 verses one through eight. This is, this is why we're coming. We're coming to the end. We're coming to the end for this old earth, this old heavens and old earth. And there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just know it is going to happen. I just know that it's soon because for 2000 years, we've heard that it's soon and it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon by God's standards, not ours. We would have loved for it to happen already. We love saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we should be crying that in our culture. We also, until that day, have have a job to do, and that's to be faithful. To be faithful. We, we should mark success not by numbers, but by faithfulness. We should mark success not by earthly standards, but by faithfulness. We should mark success in our ministry, in our lives, not by what we've gained, but by what we've given and, and how we've followed and how we've loved and how we've served. And so here in Luke chapter 18 and in chapter 17, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and said, Hey, when's, when's the kingdom coming? And they had this idea that it was going to be this miraculous moment where Jesus or whoever the Son of Man was going to be, because they didn't really believe it was Him, 
was going to come and overthrow the Roman government, was going to set up a new earthly kingdom, and it was going to be this beautiful thing where there was freedom for them on this earth. And Jesus had a different message for them, and and he talks to them about what the day was going to be like. We're going to look at that in just a few minutes. But then he goes into Luke chapter 18, and he, he tells them a parable, so that in the meantime, until the day when the Son of Man returns and comes and sets up his kingdom, he wants to give them something to hold on to. And he says this in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's not often that right at the beginning of the parable we're told by Scripture what the purpose of the parable was. But here, Jesus tells this parable, and there's two reasons he tells this parable. Do you catch them there? It says, one, that they would always pray, and two, that they would not lose heart. If we want to mark out what faithfulness is going to look like in these days, it's going to look like this that we would pray always and we would not lose heart. If we're going to be people of faith and faithfulness, we're going to pray always and not lose heart. His desire, his goal in telling this was that the people who would embrace him as king would pray always and not lose heart. Oh, that we would be people who would pray always and not lose heart. He goes on and he tells the parable. It's an odd parable because he sets up this judge as being like God, but not like God. And he goes on and he says this, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Sound familiar? A judge who neither neither feared God or respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So here's a judge, an unrighteous judge. A judge who does not fear God's law and does not care anything about humanity. Cares about his position cares about ruling, cares about his way. And yet, because he's set up in that way, in that position, people have to come to him. And a woman's coming to him and say, I have an enemy, an adversary, somebody who is all over me. And I need justice. I need you to work for my benefit. Verse 4 says, for a while he refused. Why? Because he's an unrighteous judge. He didn't care about her situation. He only cared about his situation and his position. So for a while he confused. Or he refused, but what happens? Afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, and catch that, he knows how evil he is in that moment. He says, I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I don't believe in God. I don't fear Him. And I don't, I don't care what people think. I'm doing my own thing. But because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. What's he says? Because she's a nag, I'm going to give her what she wants. It's basically what he says. And this is what Jesus is telling us is if an evil judge can look at a situation and say, look, she keeps coming to me. I got to give her what she wants. If an evil judge can do that, then we should continually pray to the righteous judge who is our king, who is our father, who loves us, who cares for us, who desires for us to know him and desires good things for us. Surely we can pray to him continually until he answers because he loves us. Are you with me? If an evil king, if you being evil can give your children good gifts, Surely your Father in heaven who loves you can give you good gifts. Are you with me? If an evil, unrighteous judge, unfair judge, unjust judge can somehow work justice, surely the just, loving, 
judge who is also our Father in heaven will work on behalf of His children. And that's good news for us. He goes on to say, verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? On earth, Jesus come back, comes back and says, look, listen to what the unrighteous judge. Surely God who is righteous is going to give justice. If the unrighteous judge can, surely God will. And if his people will cry out to him day and night, he's not going to delay long over them. He's going to bring justice soon. What is it going to look like for us to be faithful? It's going to look like praying always and not losing heart, trusting. Faithfulness is going to look like faith. Faith that drives us to pray, not complain. Faith that drives us to trust, not doubt. We shouldn't be the people who would buy into the world's way of thinking. Matthew 24, 12 through 13 gives us kind of a picture of what that looks like. And I see it so often in our day and age. Matthew 24, 12 and 13 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, this is talking about the end of times, the last days, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The Bible has a lot to say to us about enduring to the end. And, and what it looks like to be faithful to the end. That the reward is for those who endure to the end. And the endurance that we have is, is given to us by the Lord. The, look at what we're studying today. The, this endurance, this faithfulness is not something we can produce in ourselves. It's something the Spirit produces in us so that we will be faithful to the end. But there's an important question here in verse 8. Did you catch it? When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Another way to say this would be, when the Son of Man comes, will He find us faithful on earth? So He's not talking about people who have no faith in God here. He's talking about us. The people of God. The religious people. The people who would claim to know God. If you flip back to chapter 17, you see it's the religious people who are asking the questions that are causing him to tell these stories and to tell these and to ask these questions back. So the question for us is, when the Son of Man comes, will he find us faithful? Will he find us being people of faith? Or are we going to be the people who buy in to what Second Peter 3, what the people in Second Peter 3 are saying? If you look there in 2 Peter 3, we're hearing that people are telling us, Jesus has been saying He's coming back and He hasn't come back yet. If He was coming back, He'd have come back already. He's not coming back. There's no need to fear the judge. There's no need to think that a judge is coming back. He's not coming back. He would have come back already. Yet we trust that He is patient. Not wishing that any would come to judgment, but that all would be saved. That's the truth of what we know about Jesus is that he's working his plan out still. We can trust him. And so I would say we should be people of great confident joy, not people who are faithless and are doubting and people who are struggling every day to find joy. But if we would pray always and not lose heart, we can be confident in the Lord. But I think the answer to the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find us faithful? The answer is going to be found in these two realities, always praying, By faith, knowing what kind of God we pray to. By faith, not falling asleep on the job like the disciples did in the garden before Jesus' death. Right? Always praying. By, By faith, not losing heart. Knowing that He will not delay long to bring justice. By faith, not accepting the world's version of the truth. 
Our faith not buying into the world's way of looking at goods and things and money, but instead taking the love of the Father over the love of the world. We're told, aren't we, that if, the, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's a pretty stark reality. And in these days, it's going to become clearer and clearer who is of the world and who is of the Lord. I want you to look back to chapter 17. I just want to run through this real quick because I want you to see the danger here. And I want to give you hope. I want to give you a charge to be faithful. And I just want to spend a few moments going through this. So in chapter 17 of Luke, I want you to see this. Look at verse 20 for just a second. What does it look like when we're waiting for the kingdom to come, but we forget that Jesus is the king? What does it look like when we're waiting for the kingdom to come, but we forget Jesus is the king? Verse 20 and 21 says this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. First truth we need to know. The danger is we're looking for, we're often looking for something future when there's something that is being realized that is present day happening among the people of God. We are not just people of a future hope, we're people of a present hope as well. That the same Jesus who is eternal is the Jesus who is in us. And so what he's saying here is that you've, you've been looking for amazing miracles in order to know that the kingdom is at hand, but Jesus is the king. And wherever people have pledged their allegiance to Jesus, his kingdom is established. So, so we're gathered here today to pledge our allegiance to Jesus, which means his kingdom is established in our hearts. Jesus himself came in preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Basically, he's saying, I'm the kingdom, I'm here. That's what he's saying as he shows up on the scene in his ministry, his earthly ministry. And so we as the people of God, with Jesus indwelling us, Jesus empowering us, are the kingdom. We're the visible sign of the kingdom. In our everyday life, not buying into the world's way of living, we're demonstrating the kingdom. In our worship, we're demonstrating the kingdom. In our giving, we're demonstrating the kingdom. And in our going to the world with the good news of the kingdom, we're demonstrating the kingdom. We don't have to look for new miraculous signs. It doesn't have to be written in the sky. It's written on our hearts. The kingdom is written on our hearts. And he goes on. So the, the first danger that we have is that we're looking for amazing miracles when the kingdom is established through allegiance to Jesus. Which in and of itself is a miracle if you think about it. In fact, it's the greatest miracle that he would take those who are his enemies and make us his friends. That he would take those of us who are dead and make us alive. And he would take those out of the darkness and bring us into the light. And he would make us his people so that we would be a holy nation unto him. Always praying and not losing heart. But then he goes on in verses 20 through 22 through 24. He says this, and he said to the disciples. So he turns from the Pharisees and he turns to the disciples and he says, okay, you that are supposed to get this. <laughs> so this is for us. If you that are supposed to be able to get this, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So he looks at his disciples. He says, look, the days are going to be coming. We're going to be saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're in those days. Okay? 
You're going to be saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to see the day of the Lord. In fact, we need to see something, God. We need you to move in power right now. And he's saying, don't listen to the people who then come knock on your door and say, hey, did you hear about what was happening over there? Obviously, Jesus has come back. Obviously, the kingdom has come. Look at what's happening over there. We're missing it. We need to be over there. He says, don't go out with those people. Don't be with those people. Why? Because although right now we don't see the miracle and the big thing, when Jesus returns, no one will miss it. Look at the image he uses. It's like lightning from one horizon to the other. We've had several lightning storms recently. I was driving back from Newport News Tuesday night during the storm. The whole sky is lighting up. It's like the light of day, but brighter, right? When it's right on top of you, it's just blindingly bright. And when Jesus returns, no one will miss it because it will be like lightning from one horizon to the other. John Piper puts it this way. He goes, the second coming of Christ will not be a hidden thing which one person sees and then shows to another. That's what he's trying to tell us. Everybody's going to see it. It will be obvious to all from horizon to horizon like a streak of lightning. The difference between the first and second comings of Christ, the first coming where he must suffer things. The first coming is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the second coming is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who's coming as the righteous judge. The difference will be like the difference between a little candle and a bolt of lightning. You won't miss it. Don't fear. You will not miss it. The question isn't whether you're going to miss it or not. The question is whether you're going to be ready or not. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, make your heart ready by falling before Him, pledging allegiance to Him because of what His Spirit is doing. That He's allowing you to hear the truth today. Do you realize that? That's God's sovereign hand at work. It's God's beautiful love for you that He would allow you to hear the truth of who He is today. There are many around the world right now. There are about, there are anywhere from 1.8 to 2.6 billion people on the planet who have never heard the name of Jesus. Do not underestimate the great grace of Jesus that you are hearing the gospel. He is loving to you today. So that when He comes as that bolt of lightning, you will not be under His judgment, but you will be under His kingdom with Him as your King. Pledge your allegiance to Him by the Spirit that is working in you today because of what He's done for you, because He suffered for you, so that He's given Himself for you, that He's been rejected by a generation so that we would no longer be rejected by God. Trust Him today. When Jesus comes, no one is going to be able to miss it. And then thirdly, he says this. Look at verse 26 through 30. It says this. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and give, being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What's he saying? It's typically not the obvious, abject sin that's going to get us as believers. It's going to be the fact that we're lulled to sleep by the world. See, in this waiting game, in this trusting God and being faithful, the danger is not the people that are going to drag us off into false gospels all the time as much as it is that we just get lulled to sleep by the everyday. Look at 
Noah and Lot up until the day when God's judgment was poured out and the judge came and the son of man showed his power through the flood and through destroying Sodom and Gomorrah up until the moment that happened, people were going on with life as if God had no bearing on anything. They were buying and selling. They were building. They were marrying. They were doing all of the things that you would normally do on a normal day. Does that mean we stop eating, we stop drinking until Jesus comes back? Does that mean we stop working until Jesus comes back? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But we need to be acutely aware that the judge is near. And yet, most of us are living as if that's a distant reality, not a near reality. Most of us, I would say, are are living much more like the world than we are like the people of God. Most of us are, are living with much too much of a, an investment here and not so much of an investment there. David Platt put it this way. He said, live today for what will endure three billion years from now. Well, what's it going to look like for us to live for three billion years from now as opposed to for today or tomorrow? We know the king is returning. Don't be lulled to sleep by the everyday. Things that are good. But things that we do as if God has no bearing on them. He has every bearing on what you eat. He has every bearing on what you drink. He has every bearing on how you work. He has every bearing on what you buy, what you sell. Don't act like he doesn't. Don't act like it's your money. Don't act like it's your life. It's not. You've been bought with a price. So that we would not be ashamed when we see him face to face. When the, Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? And then finally, verse 31 through 37, give us this picture. I want to read you three words that will give you the picture. Okay, When, when you read through this whole thing, you read about people, one who's on the housetop, one who's in the house. When, when Jesus comes back, when the Son of Man comes, people are running back to get what they want, right? and what they need and what's important to them. And these, these words in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Warned, delivered, and desired the things that were being burnt up behind her. I, I, I'm going to put it this way to you if I could. People ask all the time, if you had a fire in your house or there was a meteor coming from from space and it was going to directly hit your house, what are the things you would save? Right? Think about that. You'd save pets. You'd save those. But you'd save family photos, wouldn't you? I mean, family photos are incredibly important, aren't they? Because they're memories and they're, they're your heritage and that sort of thing. I want to just say this really plainly to you. When the day of the Lord comes and He comes, you're not going to be running back into your house getting your family photos. Please hear me on this really plainly. You should be right now more concerned with the eternal destiny of your family than you are with saving your family photos. And yet I find that we are more concerned most of the time with the symbols of things than we are with the reality. I've heard a lot about symbols in the last couple of weeks. And we're more concerned with symbols than we are with people. Please understand, God does not love countries. God loves people. I can't say it any more plainly than that. There's nowhere in the Bible outside of loving 
the nation of Israel, but even that he's talking about people because he's not, he says not every single one of them are of Abraham. It's people. God loves people. And so should we. Don't love the symbols more than you love the people. And so when that day comes and Jesus comes back, you're not going to be running back in to gather up stuff. If you are, you're going to be burnt up. You're going to demonstrate that the love of the Father is not in you because you love the things of the world too much. But oh, your goal should be that your family, your friends, people around the world are gathered around the throne when the King of Kings comes. May we be those people. When the Son of Man comes, will He find us faithful? Don't be like Lot's wife. Loving the world as it falls into judgment. Love them now. Enough to keep them from judgment. Let me say that again. Don't love the world so much that you're like Lot's wife falling into their judgment. Love them enough now to proclaim the gospel so that you will keep them from that judgment. Oh, that we be those people. Our culture has changed. I have told you this before. I'll say it again as we go to the time of the Lord's Supper. I find it exciting on some level. The fact that we live in a country now that to proclaim the gospel means you're proclaiming something that's new to people, that's different than their culture, because the gospel changes cultures. But I ask you these questions. I want to read a couple of these quotes because I think they're important for us today. Charles Stanley put it this way. Too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. What are you committed to? Convenience? They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. When the Son of Man comes, will He find us faithful? Hey, you know what the good news of the church is? When we're faithful together, we can follow our friends too. We can do this together as the body of Christ. Matthew Henry put it this way, What think we of Christ? Is He altogether glorious in our eyes and precious to our hearts? May Christ be our joy, our confidence, our all. May we daily be made more like to Him and more devoted to His service. Abraham Kuyper, just one of my favorite guys from church history, said, When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace with that culture has become sin. Let me say that again. When the culture runs against the deepest convictions of our faith, peace with that culture becomes sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. I praise the Lord that our God knows the difference between wheat and chaff, between that which is His and that which will be burned up. I ask you, does the world, do your friends know whether you're wheat or chaff? (laughs) Whether you belong to Jesus or you belong to this world? Does your family know? Whether you belong to Jesus or you belong to this world? Would a stranger meeting you know whether you belong to Jesus or you belong to this world? And when the Son of Man comes, will He find us faithful? A.W. Pink said this, Daily living by faith on Christ is what makes the difference between the sickly and the healthy Christian, between the defeated and the victorious saint. Oh, that we would be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us faithful by your Spirit, but that you would strengthen us to faithfulness, that you would strengthen us to obedience, that you would strengthen us to following, that you would strengthen us 
in Jesus. And Lord, then help us to stand in grace and in love, but in truth as well. And Lord, may you be brought much glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So guys, come forward to take to, to give the Lord's Supper. We, we want to be reminded that